Okay, we're going to finish up with a short teaching. Why don't you guys open up to the book of Isaiah? And we're going to be in Isaiah 56. And don't worry, we're not going to cover all that I intended. I, I built a large enough teaching to fill the space, but we're going to just focus in on 56 here. So you can open up to 56, uh, starting in verse 3. And I've got to raise this thing up here. This is for short people. There we go. All right. Well, we've been going through Isaiah, and it is a very powerful book because it captures the idea of God in his kingdom and how he, through his servant, that we know as Jesus Christ, is building his kingdom and will come again to fully rule and reign. And I'm so thankful to have my brother and sister here, Marcel and Pauline, uh, to speak to what the Lord is doing in, in an amazing way because every time they come, our eyes are reopened to the fact that Jesus is not just American. He's not just Western. In fact, he's not those things at all. He is king over the entire universe and over the entire world. And so even though there are no long-term missionaries right now in Burkina, we know that mission is happening there because the mission being shared by those who are native to Burkina, is uh, they're allowing us to co-labor with them and to move forward. And so the text we're going to focus on today out of the book of Isaiah, will reset our minds and hearts to take part in what Christ is doing. And don't worry, I'm not going to go my full length uh, in, by any means here, but I want to start by at least reconnecting where we're at. It's been a while since we've been in Isaiah. And we were in Isaiah 52 the last time we taught out of Isaiah, and we'll be moving through Isaiah 52 and 53 next Sunday. And remember that that is the fourth of four servant songs in which Isaiah speaks of this coming king, this coming Lord that we know as Sunday school answer, guys. Jesus. Jesus. There we go. Okay. We know him as Jesus. And so 53 is one of the most famous uh, chapters that there is uh, in Isaiah. Um, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Who's this speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the one who is pierced for us. He was crucified for us. He was beaten and bruised for us. Why? Because he loved us. And the amazing part about 53 is that it immediately transitions into 54 and we see this covenant of peace come. And huge encouragement comes to the people of Israel. It starts out in 54.1 saying, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Israel was unfruitful in its work because it had not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. And so this crucifixion, this suffering of the servant, will refresh Israel to a place where they start to bear fruit again. And they're going to bear fruit in an amazing way, but not them alone, not them only, because the compassion of the Lord moves into chapter 55, where God is speaking to the people of Judah, but he's speaking to everyone around the world as well. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, you can write down is this. God's word calls the nations to turn to him. God's word calls the nations to turn to him. He's speaking not only to Judah, but also to the entire world. And what does he say here, 55.1? He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. If we want to be fulfilled, where do we go? What do we do? Do we get our daily addictive habit, whether it be Starbucks or something else? 
Do we try to be fulfilled off of our Netflix account? Do we try to be fulfilled off of our relationships? What Christ calls us to, what the Word calls us to, is everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And we can immediately think of Jesus in the book of John. John chapter 7, he cries out and he says, All who are thirsty, come to Netflix, come to Starbucks, come to your boyfriend or girlfriend. No, what does he say? Come to me, he says. All who are thirsty. You ever feel thirsty in life? Man, there is no thirst like a Burkina thirst, I'm telling you. When you're standing there in the middle of Burkina Faso and the sun is beating down and you're under a tin roof, see, they, uh, in Burkina, they put fans under the tin roof thinking, you know, white guys, they need fans, right? But the problem is, is that the roof gets heated up and then the fan blows it on you, so it's like being in a microwave, okay? So you're sitting there teaching and, man, it's just pouring off and you need one of those sweat deacons that's in Pentecostal churches, right, to come dab your forehead, right? Okay? And you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're reading the word and you're thinking, man, if I could only have a drink of water. That's the thirst we must have for Christ. You could also think of him in John 6 proclaiming, I am the bread of life. I come down from heaven. I'm living. Eat of me to be fulfilled, he says. And all of chapter 55 moves on from here calling to us to be filled with the bread of life, Jesus himself. But the bread also symbolizes something else. Can anybody tell me what else is symbolized by the word bread in Scripture? The word itself. The word of God is what fills us and gives us nourishment. And this chapter, as we will fully go through here in a couple of weeks, it speaks of the word of God. He even says in the middle of the chapter, uh, in verse 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. This word that calls the world to him, calls the world to repent from what they knew and have allegiance to Jesus Christ. See, in Burkina Faso, this is easy. You leave nature worship. You leave Allah and Muhammad. And you put your life on the line, even with your own family, to give your faith, your allegiance, your fidelity to Jesus Christ. It's not an easy believism that, oh yeah, now I'm Christian, but life is just the same. You literally give up everything to become a Christian. Here in the United States, we've lost that idea and that meaning of faith. We, we think of it as just something that we think about, as opposed to an allegiance to Jesus Christ. But what God is calling us to, because of the crucifixion, because he was wounded for us, he was crucified to us, is to come and be filled. Be filled with what? with his love, with his compassion. And his word speaks to us of that compassion. Look at 55.3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. What are we to hear? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now David was a, an amazing man, an amazing king to the Jews, and what he's doing here by using this picture of David and speaking of the love and the covenant that he gave David, he's saying that he will pass that love and covenant on to all of us through one who would be like David. David was a king. He was a man after God's own heart, yet he sinned. But there came a one known as Jesus Christ who was not only a king enthroned in the heavens, but also one who is sinless and yet gave his life for us sinners, so that we might be with him. 
He says in verse 4, speaking not only of King David, but also of our King, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, not just to one people, not just to one person, but to all the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And he says, because of this, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. If you're taking down notes, you can write this down next. God's compassion is moving out to the nations. It is presently and has been always moving out to the nations. We have a tendency to look at the news, to hear about Boko Haram or Al-Qaeda and think, oh, Christendom is dying. No, it's still going out. The question is, do we want to be part of it? It's interesting here that the phrase is used, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. Be honest, before today, how many of you had never heard of Burkina Faso? Raise your hand. Okay? Before coming to this church, how many of you ever had heard of Burkina, never had heard of Burkina Faso? Right. A couple of years ago, I called up our credit card company because I was flying over to Burkina Faso. And if there's any place you want to make sure your credit card is locked down, it's middle of West Africa, right? And so I called up and I said, hey, I'm going to West Africa. I need you to lock down my credit card and uh, make sure that it's only in these areas. And, and the guy said, oh, great, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to a place called Burkina Faso. And he goes, come again? And I said, Burkina Faso. And he said, uh, yeah, never heard of it. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that, but just look it up in your system. I'm sure it's there. And he looked and looked and looked and he couldn't find it. And I thought, come on, it's a, it's a nation, it's a country, it's got to be there in your system. And eventually he found it, but man, Burkina Faso is a place that not many people know. And they forget about it. You think about, you know, different places on the coast or Niger and Mali, they're big countries, but Burkina Faso, does that mean God loves them any less? No, because the pride of the people is not in their nationality. The pride of the people is in the people. And just as they love one another, God loves them deeply. And he has not forsaken them nor forgotten them. And he calls us to take his compassion to the nations. When he cried out to the disciples, he said, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Guys, there is no further end of the earth than Burkina Faso. How many of you have ever heard of Timbuktu? Okay. My dad used to joke with me as a kid. He used to say, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to send you to Timbuktu. Right? Meaning the ends of the earth. You know how far Timbuktu is from Burkina Faso? Not very. It's just over the border, right? It's the ends of the earth, and Christ calls us to take his compassion, his righteousness, his justice to the nations. 55 finishes up with this idea and this understanding that when the compassion fully comes to the nations, when Jesus fully returns, look at verse 12 here. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Shalom. It's where we get the name Salem. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This language here is undoing the curse that was in the garden. When the curse came into the garden, thorns and briars arose. The mountains became depressed and the trees became sad. 
It's metaphor speaking of the fact that sin has clamped down on the world and enslaved us to brokenness. But when the compassion of the Lord fully is spread across the world by his incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and by his written word, the Bible, through his people, a reflection of him, this will be what will happen. And it won't happen until Jesus fully comes and rules and reigns. We can't do it on our own, but we can bit by bit, piece by piece, bring that gospel message to the world so that Burkina Bay are ready when Jesus returns. So that we are ready when Jesus returns. And then Isaiah moves into chapter 56. Because the Israelites at this point, they're reading this and they're thinking, well, that sounds really great. How many of you hope for that day when everything is restored? Raise your hand. I long for it minute by minute, day by day. Any issue that comes up in life, any injustice I see, I think, oh, how great will it be when we go out in joy rather than in the sorrow that placed Jesus on the cross. The Israelites, the Judahites, they were thinking the same thing. They thought, this will be great. What do we do until then? Any of you ever had that question before? I looked forward for that day, but Lord, what do we do until then? Well, he says in 56.1, thus says Yahweh, the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. The word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, Jesus. He is the one that was revealed for us and he will fully come and he will fully be revealed and he is the incarnation of God's righteousness. And we, as his people, are to reflect that righteousness. Notice the verbs, guys. What are verbs for those of you who are grammar geniuses? Verbs are actions. Keep justice. The word in the Hebrew for keep also means guard or protect. We are to be soldiers looking for injustice, finding it, destroying it, and guarding justice in the midst. We are to be ones who do righteousness. That's weird, isn't it? Righteousness is a characteristic. It's it's the perfection of God that he is morally perfect, and yet he calls us to do a characteristic? We've talked about this many times in Isaiah. Tzedakah v'amishpat. Righteousness and justice. Justice and righteousness. And what he speaks to us to do is in our daily lives and our activity, not to earn our salvation. That's not what he's saying here. But because salvation was freely given on the cross, Isaiah 53, and the covenant of peace, Isaiah 54, was freely given to us, we are then called to take his justice, his reflection, his righteousness to the world. And he says in verse 2, Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, right? Who holds the Sabbath for us that Sunday, who holds that, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. We are to do this work because in the midst of what's going on in the world with evil and injustice, we are called to bring justice and righteousness as God's people. And the good news that we are to bring is that there is no one, no one who is too far from God's grace. No one who is too far from God's goodness. No one that he pushes aside and says, I can't have you in my kingdom. Let's take a look here. 
at what he says in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. In the midst of this compassion, who does God choose to highlight in the midst of his word? He chooses to highlight the outcast. You see, the foreigner, that word, or Gentile, non-Jew, and the eunuch, that's one who could not have children. According to Levitical law, both groups were not allowed to come into the temple to worship God. If they showed up at the gate of the temple, they would be turned away. You are not allowed to worship the Creator. And when the compassion of the Lord moves out to the nations and it comes in fullness, there is no longer an outsider. Prior to this new work, this new everlasting covenant, a foreigner or a eunuch would have said as they attempted to go worship Yahweh, I will be separated if I try. I am nothing to God. What fruit have I produced for him? But see, this is the nation that was not known by the Jews. These were the foreigners who would be called to the Lord. This is all of us. Americans, Burkina Bay, the nation that the Jews did not know. And for the Burkina Bay, these are the ones that received only injustice. And in the eyes of many Americans, even those who have uh, fled from Burkina Faso, they are seen as the outsiders. Oh, we don't want to give our lives for this. But the Burkina Bay do, and they need our assistance to take the compassion of God to the nations. The good news of God's gospel is that there is no one that he does not desire to be in relationship with. He has offered once for all forgiveness of sins and a chance to turn to him and be changed into his image to anyone that desires it. We don't have anything that we can use to earn his good graces. Remember that we've covered in Deuteronomy 7, Israel, they said to God, hey, it's great that we're your people. And he said, now remember, it's not because you're the coolest. It's not because you're the biggest. I just simply chose you out of grace. Every person who comes to Yahweh is an outsider. Everyone is a foreigner from his grace. Even the Israelites had nothing that earned God's love. But the statement that Isaiah is making here is that the outcasts of the world will be added to the outcasts of Israel. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when God draws those people, us, the Burkina Bay, people to the ends of the earth, he gives us great news of what we will be to him. He will become so close to us in relationship that we will receive an eternal monument that states that we have been given to the Lord. And we will receive a new name. I got the honor of officiating a wedding yesterday, Bree and Gunner. And I shared with them this verse here in Revelation. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God 
and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. One of the first times I went to Burkina, I asked Marcel, I said, uh, what are the markings on people's faces in Burkina? And he said, well, that's the marking of what tribe they come from. So that when they pass away, if they're in another tribe, they are brought back to their tribe so that they can be buried because animist belief mean, uh, thinks that you have to be buried in your tribal village. And I thought, how interesting it is that the Burkina Bay understand this better than we do. We throw around names like nothing in the United States, right? I think I'm going to name them whatever, star, you know, rainbow, right? If there's any stars or rainbows in here, I apologize. But man, the Lord will mark us. He will call us his own. He will place his name upon us. And we will forever be his. This is the joy that we can bring the people of Salem, the people of the Willamette Valley, and the people of Burkina Faso. At the end of days, the process of being changed into the image of Jesus will be complete. And we will reflect him to the point where we will bear his name we will bear his character. And just as the Western bride takes on the last name of her husband, the bride of Christ will take on the name of the bridegroom himself, Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading here. Verse 6, 56, 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is God's plan. What he's going to do is to bring together this new worldwide diverse family. Black, white, it doesn't matter. All those who cry out to the Lord and repent from their old ways and turn to him and accept the fact that he came to this earth, he died for our sins, atoned in our place for the sins that we have committed, resurrected to prove that he was victorious over sin and death and all evil, and then ascended and became enthroned at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning today as our King, calling us, calling us to step forward and do as he's called us to, to do, to be his servants, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord. This is God's plan. By loving other people, by caring for the Burkina Bay, by ministering to one another, we minister to Yahweh. One of the most sad things I believe that has occurred in Christendom is that we have separated the first law from the second law. I can love God in my spiritual closet, my prayer closet. I can love God on the way to work. But that other thing, the loving people, that's just works. And I'm saved by grace through faith. No, guys, you are saved by grace through faith. And that grace was handed to you freely, not of your works so that you could not boast, but a faith that does not work is not a faith at all. And that faith he calls us to, that fidelity to him, that allegiance to him, is to then take up his call 
and take part in his work to take to the ends of the earth the gospel that Jesus loves them and died for them. And this is God's plan. It's happening right in our midst and it will happen until the Lord's soon return. And so my call to us as a church today is that we take part in God's work, that we take part in the gathering of the nations. Isaiah 56, 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. God is doing the work. How sad for us if we say, good for him, I've got better things to do. How powerful for us if we say, my king is advancing. Pull me into your ranks. Let me be your servant. Let me be your warrior. And let me go to battle against Al-Qaeda, against Boko Haram. In the name of Jesus Christ, our king, we will conquer. And we will conquer not using weapons of warfare, but weapons of love and of faith and of grace. That's what we are called to today. Through what is happening in Burkina, through Marcel and the 127 bush pastors that are learning the word of God, through the pastor's school, and then taking it to the surrounding areas, we know that God's word is going forth into even unreached people groups. The third time that I went to Burkina, it hit me, it dawned on me that mission may exist not for the people of Salem, but for the people of Ouagadougou and Burkina Faso. We could be part of an amazing movement. We've already started it in small steps. I would love to take that 25 churches that we've roofed over the last five years and turn it into 250 over the next year. But the reality is, is that it takes every single one of us to reset our minds, to reset our focus and our vision. The reason pastors do not talk about money is because so many perverse pastors have abused money. You see where the money in this church goes. You know where it goes. It's time to reset your focus, to recognize that money is just paper, but how we use it can be the power of God. Burkina is the nation that is not known, and yet in the heart of God, it is so well known that he is waiting to pour out an amazing amount of gospel truth on the people of of Burkina Faso. There are many people yet to hear the gospel there, and we can be part of what God is doing. Would you join us? Would you give today? If you can, great. The tithe boxes are open. You can write on your check, roof, and it will go to a roof, nothing else. You can write on your check, food, and it will go to food, nothing else. You can write on your check, care for Marcel and Pauline, and it will go to them and nothing else. If all of our tithe today 100% of it goes to Burkina Faso, then we as elders will rejoice with you that we are doing an amazing work in Burkina. We are called to give to the Lord's kingdom here in the midst of Salem and elsewhere in the midst of Burkina.